0: Gospel of John, Chapter 1. And we do have a new members' lunch today. We have, how many people we have signed up at this point? hundred, hundred and ten people. And uh, if you're a visitor, or you, are, and you're thinking about joining the class, and you're a new member, come as our guest, and uh, Bobby Webb will pay for you, you don't have to worry about that. If you're a member, and you uh, want to come, cost costs six dollars. Okay, so Dr. Waddell, back. Welcome back. How you doing? Yeah. Great. Okay, we are in John chapter one. Now, let me remind you what's happened here. Uh, it's during the baptism that God reveals the identity of Jesus. Up until that time, uh, his identity is. A mystery but at his baptism a voice comes from heaven says this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased and the Holy Spirit descends upon Jesus like a dove and the scripture says and abides with him it's that voice and that descent of the Holy Spirit that uh, causes John the Baptist to realize that Jesus is the Messiah and he says Behold, the Lamb of God. And that's the first time John the Baptist realizes that Jesus has the role of the Messiah. When he uses the term Lamb of God, we saw last week that this is a reference to the Exodus, when the Lamb was slaughtered and the death angel passed over, where we get our feast of Passover, passed over the house of the firstborn. And the Jewish people were delivered from the oppression of Egypt. And John says, Jesus is the new lamb who is going to deliver us from the kingdom of darkness and put us into the kingdom of God. And that's how John sees Jesus. So now we pick up in chapter 1 in verse 35. And you'll see a time sequence here. It says again the next day, John stood with two of his disciples. And looking at Jesus, as he walked, he said, and he says this is the second time he says this, Behold the Lamb of God. He said that the day before, when Jesus was baptized, now he says it again. Now notice he's with two of his disciples. Uh, Who are these two disciples? Uh, First of all, notice they're John the Baptist's disciples. He's with two of his own disciples. One of them is mentioned down in verse 40. It says, one of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew. So one is Andrew and the other one's not named. Some people think it's the Gospel writer. But that's just a guess. We have no idea who the second one is. Now we get their reaction. Look what it says in verse 37. After John says the Lamb of God comes to Jesus... Verse 37 says, the two disciples heard him speak, and they followed Jesus. They left John, and they start following Jesus. Now, how do you think John felt? Now, John has always said that there was going to come one after him that he was pointing toward. That's Jesus. But, you know, now it happens. Now Jesus is on the scene, and guess what? His own disciples start leaving him. But you had some mixed feelings, don't you? it be like, you know, a new professor at Criswell College who's a preaching professor. And maybe I was in on hiring him. And I said, this is a great preaching professor. And guess what? All the students start flocking to him. You know, I recommended him. I'm bragging about him. And they start flocking to him. How do I feel? It's mixed. <laughs> yeah, I feel good. But I also have some, uh, maybe he's not as good as I thought he was. So what happens if he... Turns out to be a bad teacher. And uh, how about if John the Baptist is wrong and Jesus isn't the Messiah and he's misinterpreting the signs and all this is happening. But they leave and they follow Jesus. And evidently, Jesus hears footsteps behind him. And look what he does in verse 38. Then he turns. And seeing them follow, he said... What do you seek? Now this is this is a what question. Okay, it's important that you get that. This is a what question. Uh, when you came to Christ, what were you seeking? See, people come to Christ for different reasons. They're seeking something, and He wants to know what are you seeking. Okay. So I think that's uh, very interesting. He's he's trying to probe and find out what their motives are. What are you seeking? And then. They said in the middle of verse 38, they said to him, Rabbi, which is to say when translated, Teacher, where are you staying? He asked them what, and what do they say? Where? (laughs) Now, uh, this uh, this has a lot of implications. If somebody says to me, where is your office? Guess what I know? Why are they asking that? They just want to know where my office is? No, they want to come to my office. They want to take up some of my time. Jesus knows that uh, they have all kinds of questions. So they say, well, where where are you? Where's your office? And it says, where are you staying? By the way, if you look at verse 38, you see this. Uh, parentheses here, notice this, they called him rabbi and then they give a parenthesis and the parenthesis says which is to say when translated teacher now the reason we have that is because John is writing his book in 95 AD and these aren't all Jewish people they don't all understand the Hebrew rabbi or the Aramaic rabbi And so John has to translate that word for his audience, many of whom are Greek-speaking Gentiles. Does that make sense? So you're going to see those parentheses around a lot of John's writing because he has to explain to his audience 50 years later what that meant. That means there are a lot of people in his audience who didn't know what rabbi meant. Now you know what it means, but uh, how about in a country where there's, very little Jewish people. How about if you went to an African country? In the bush? And somebody called and I'm, and I'm leading a tour and somebody says to me, Rabbi! so Joe Lyon calls me sometimes, Rabbi! And there's somebody from the African bush over there and he hears that. Joe would have to turn to him and say, I'm talking about talking to my teacher. That just means teacher. That's an explanation. Does that make sense? So we have these explanations. So now we get Jesus' response. And I like this response. It's a no response. So look at this. He said to them, come and see. He didn't say, well, I'm staying three blocks down to the, you know, and then when you get down to the red light, turn left and, you know. He doesn't give them the location. They ask where and what does He say? Come on. Take a look for yourself. He doesn't just give them information. He... A lot of people want information. And what he does is he gives them more than information. He forces them to act. He wants action. So he says, Come and see. Now, this is the first invitation in the Gospel of John. Come and see. It's one of John's favorite words. The word come. The first invitation. Remember the last invitation that John writes? It's in the book of Revelation. Remember that? In chapter twenty-two, he says. The Spirit and the Bride say what? Come. Remember that? Let him who hears say, come. Let all who thirst say, come. And then the book ends with, even so, come, Lord Jesus. So here's the first invitation. And Jesus extends the invitation. And that's what we do when we do evangelistic preaching. We call people to come and see. Come and see what Jesus is all about. We don't just give them information. Jesus is this, Jesus is that. We ask them to take action. And then verse 40, one of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. Uh, First description of Andrew is in relationship to his brother. Never in the entire Bible Andrew spoken of by himself without relationship or a link to Simon Peter again because John writing in 95 AD to a Gentile audience mainly there's Jews too but a lot of Gentiles as well Andrew would be considered a minor apostle but guess what the name Simon Peter everybody knows so it would be like if I said Oprah Madonna Elvis well they all have brothers and sisters but guess what if I said, you know, Elvis' brother, you wouldn't know who I'm talking about. I'd have to say, you know, Joe, Elvis' brother. You know, Sarah, but not his sister. And because there's one that's famous and the other one is in the background. And so, here is Andrew, and he is identified in verse 40 as Simon Peter's brother. Now, Andrew does two things. Look what he does. First, he first found his own brother, Simon Peter. And said to him we have found the Messiah the first thing he does is he shares the gospel he tells his brother about Jesus and there was somebody who was an Andrew in your life who told you about Jesus and that's why your life has changed and you, we all need to be an Andrew to somebody else so notice what it says notice in verse 41 you see those parentheses again Look, we found the Messiah. Guess what? To John's audience, you have to explain it, which is translated what, Christ or Anointed One. See? So that's the parentheses there. So, you know, you should be looking back and thinking, who was the Andrew in my life? Who was it that influenced me? Second thing he does, verse forty-two, and he brought him to Jesus. Maybe the most important thing Andrew ever did in his life, because Peter changes the face of. Christianity. It's Peter who's going to be the lead apostle for the first you know several years of Christianity, all the way up until you know Acts 12. Peter is the main apostle in Christianity until James, the half-brother of Jesus, takes over. But I believe this is probably the most important thing Andrew ever did, is that he brought his brother to Jesus. And you never know what's going to happen when you bring a person to Jesus. You know, somebody led Billy Graham to Jesus. When Billy Graham was 16, they got "No, Mordecai Ham, the man who shared the gospel with Billy Graham, had no idea that Billy Graham was going to be the world's greatest evangelist. You don't know what's going to happen when you share the gospel. I have students in my class who could be the next Billy Graham. I don't know that. So I have to be faithful and, you know, really work with these people young men, so I, it's important that we tell others about Jesus because God can raise them up. And I'm sure that the person who first told me about Jesus never thought that one day that I'd be standing here speaking to the President's Club. They probably said, that poor guy needs Jesus. Look no at him. He needs something. And they never thought that I would be teaching or writing a book or doing that. So look at this. So I think that's very important what, what Andrew does. So when we say, Peter may be the most important person in the early years of Christianity, would you say he was, or would you say Andrew? Depends on how you evaluate things. Because without Andrew, there's no Peter. Okay, so Jesus sizes up Simon Peter, and look what he says in verse 42. It says he brought him to Jesus, now when Jesus looked at him, he said, you're Simon son of Jonah. You shall be Cephas, which is translated a stone or a rock. Now, when Jesus looks at Simon Peter, he does a before and an after type thing. You've seen those commercials before and after? Before the life lift. You know what the life lift is? It's a facelift, right? Here's that person. You saw what they looked like before. Here's what they look like after. What are you? Younger, you know. Well, Here's what you are. Right now you are just Simon, son of Jonah, but here's what you shall be. See, you are, you shall be. You shall be Cephas, which is translated as stone or a rock. By the way, you see the parentheses in there again? All these words need to be explained to John's audience because they don't know these words. So notice what Jesus does. He says, here's who you are, here's who you shall be. Jesus sees the potential in Simon, and he uh, transforms his life. And that's what he does to everybody. You know, just as I am, I come. Just as I am, I come. I come just the way I am. This is what you are. You come to Christ just the way you are. But then he doesn't leave you there. There's something that you shall be so every one of us came to christ where we were and here's where we are he's transformed our lives christ transformed life. peter marshall says no one can come face to face with jesus christ and ever remain the same person and so what we have here is we have this transformation and uh... that's why when we bring someone to christ the I mean, possibilities for that person's life are unlimited. We don't have any idea what God's going to do with them. And that's the exciting thing. And you get credit for it. Now look at the, as the story progresses in verse 43. The following day, so notice now we're just moving up the days. The following day, Jesus wanted to go to Galilee. That's a northern province in Israel. And Remember, he was probably down south where John was baptizing in the Judean desert. So he wants to go 70 miles north. And he found Philip. And he said to him, follow me. Uh, no explanation. Just by faith. No questions asked. <laughs> just follow me. The guy realizes that Jesus is a teacher. He starts following this guy named Philip. Now Philip, it says, was from Bethsaida, the city of of Andrew and Peter. This might explain why Philip, follows Jesus because Andrew and Peter are following Jesus and he knows them. We actually believe that Philip was uh, possibly in the fishing business because uh, Bethsaida the the word Bethsaida means the house of fishermen or fisher town. And uh, it's located at the junction of the Sea of Galilee, and the Jordan River uh, up north. And so this is a fishing village, and they probably all knew each other. And so we get Philip's reaction in verse 45. Uh, Philip then goes and he finds Nathanael. And he said to him, we found him of whom Moses, in the law, and also in the prophets, wrote. Jesus of Nazareth the son of Joseph. And uh, so he goes and he finds Nathaniel. So this is how Christianity started. One person telling another person about Jesus and uh, saying you need to become a disciple of Jesus Christ. Now notice how he describes Jesus. Jesus of Nazareth, verse 45, son of Joseph. He gives us his name, Jesus. He gives us his town, Nazareth. He gives us his dad's name, Joseph. Okay? Now, why was Jesus identified? Jesus, location, Nazareth, dad's name, Joseph, because they didn't have last names. No one went by last names. So you always went by the name, the town, and the person. And if there were more than one person in that town, <laughs> and by the way, some of these cities weren't that big, but if there were more than one person in that town, you would have some adjective, like James the <coughs> Less. Right? Little James, you know. Not big James, little James. You have some name like that to identify that person. So he says to Nathaniel, We have found him of whom Moses and the law and the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, son of Joseph. And Nathaniel says in verse forty six, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Now why in the world does Nathaniel say that? Okay. Well, you find out when you go over to chapter 21. So turn over to chapter 21, and we discover where Nathanael is from. Okay. So in John 21, and verse 2, it says, it describes Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, and look at this next word, 21-2, Nathanael of what? Cana, okay? So now we discover what's going on. Uh, Nathanael says, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Nazareth and Cana were neighboring towns, and there was a rivalry going on, and the people in Cana didn't take much of the people. In Nazareth. Remember that old Pace Picante commercial? There's soldiers. I mean, these these cowboys sitting around the fire and uh-huh. dips into the paste It dips into some Picante sauce. The guy looks on the label. He says, like, "This sauce is made in New York City." <laughs> the other one guy says, "New York City." You know, what is the last sentence? Get a rope. I don't know if it's that or not. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, you you know you, what can good can, what kind of picante sauce can be come out of New York City and be good? Can anything come out of can, can any pot picante sauce come out of New York City and be good? That's what you have here. You know, it's like the Dallas Cowboys and you know the uh, and the and Washington Redskins. You know, it's just a rival that goes on. Texas and you know Oklahoma, one of those kinds of things. So this is a he has a very low opinion of Nazareth. Okay. So uh if the Messiah is going to come out of anywhere, where, where would he come? He'd come from Jerusalem, wouldn't he? And if not Jerusalem, Canaan, right? At <laughs> least. But probably Jerusalem. So Daniel is very says, ah, that's ridiculous. What can come out of Nazareth? Now look at Philip's answer at the end of verse 46. Philip says, what? Come and see. Just gives him an invitation. Just go on and see for yourself. See if your prejudice is right or not. Or if this guy is totally different than you, imagine, just come and see. Now verse 47, so he gets up and he starts coming. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him. And look, he takes the initiative, and he said to him, Behold, an Israelite in whom there is no guile or, the, or deceit, is what guile means. And it's a word that has to do with fishing. And uh, it's used as, the word means bait. It's something that looks good on the surface, but really all it is is a lure to attract you to the, to the trap or the net or the, the hook, you know, at the end of your line. So guile or deceit is something that looks one way, uh, but is really another way. It's a person of duplicity. It's a person who's a hypocrite. It's a person who has false motives. And what Jesus says here is, here's here's an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. Now, when you see that, you start looking at that phrase, an Israelite, and you say, well, who was the first Israelite? Yes, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Jacob's name was changed to Israel. Israel. What was Jacob? Jacob. He was a liar, cheater, (laughs) deceiver, a guy in whom there was much guile. He cheats his brother Esau out of his birthright. And Jesus said, now here is an Israelite. Here's a Jacob (laughs) in whom there's no guile. Here's somebody that's pure of heart. And uh, Nathaniel is a black and white person, and he tells it like it is, and he's sort of taken back when, when he hears this, and, uh, look what he says in verse 48. He said, well, how do you know me? You, you, know, you must be you know, some sort of psychic. How do you know me? How do you know that kind of information? Uh, and uh, Jesus tells him about a recent incident. And look what he said. In the middle of verse 48, Jesus answered and said, Before Philip called you he said, come and see, When you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Whoa, this has to be very scary. Now, the fig tree was the kind of tree that usually people sat under and they meditated and they contemplated. And evidently, that's where Nathanael was sitting. And Jesus said, you know, I saw all that. And so this is something that's supernatural that's happening. And uh, he's so taken back that he's, he's shocked. And Nathaniel blurted something out. Look what he does in verse 49. He answered and said, Rabbi, you're the Son of God, the King of Israel. He knows he's a rabbi because he's being followed by disciples. That's his vocation. He says, you have a special relationship with God. You're the Son of God. And then he says this, you're the King of Israel. Now, notice Jesus said, an Israelite in whom there's no God an Israelite in whom there's no God. Nathaniel says, You're the king of Israel. Which means, You're my king. See? Uh, Herod's not the king. Herod's the king that was appointed by Caesar Augustus. But uh, he says, Herod's not my king. You're my king. And This is a pure confession of faith because there's no guile in this man. Now that leads to a question. Jesus answered and said unto him, in some translation it's just a statement of fact, but I'll read it in my translation. Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? Or, you believe because I sort of did a little miracle? And that's why you believe? See? And then he says this in verse 50. He says, you'll see greater things than these. If that impressed you, just hang around a few days. You ain't seen nothing yet. And that next chapter, Jesus goes over to the this guy hometown, and he turns the water into wine. And he performs his first seven major miracles. And this guy is going to be amazed by what he sees. Now, after he says that to Nathaniel, he speaks to all his disciples, the ones that are with him. Verse fifty-one. He said this, and he said to him, "Surely I say to you hereafter." And he's looking at Nathaniel when he says that. But then the next word, "You shall see heaven open," is a plural pronoun. You all will see heaven. Open. I'm not only talking to you, Nathaniel. You're all going to see some things that are unbelievable. You'll all see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. Now what in the world are he talking about? <laughs> Here Jesus um, combines two Old Testament pictures. And he likens himself to these two things. The first is Jacob's ladder. And the second is Daniel's vision of a son of man receiving the kingdom. Both of these events, Jacob's ladder and Daniel's son of man, were events that occurred as a result of a vision or dream. We won't turn there, but you're familiar with it. Genesis 28. Jacob, the deceiver, uh, goes out and he's on the run from Esau. (laughs) Esau's after him and he's on the run. He gets away from him and he gets so tired he lays his head down on a rock in the area of Haran and he goes to sleep and when he does he has a dream. And in this dream he sees a ladder that extends between earth and heaven and angels ascending and descending. And God speaks to them. He says, this is the door of God. This is the gate of God. This is how you get it. This is how you get right into my place. And uh, he says to Jacob, he said, "Uh, I'm going to give you this land here. I'm going to give you land. And Jacob called this place Bethel, the house of God. Jesus says, I am the latter. Heaven and earth meet with me. I am the mediator between heaven and earth. I am the latter. That's the first statement Jesus makes. Then the second statement he says, And you shall see the angels descending and ascending upon the Son of Man. And what he says there is that this is a vision that Daniel has after he sees those four beasts, remember those beastly kingdoms? And then he sees the Son of Man, one like the Son of Man, who ascends into heaven before the throne of God. And God gives him a kingdom that shall never end. And Jesus identifies himself as the mediator between heaven and earth. The one who brings us to God. And the one who is the son of man. Who receives a kingdom that will never be destroyed. And we get in on it. Just like the apostles get in on it. So, in this first chapter, Jesus is identified in many ways. The writer John identifies him as the Word. In the beginning was the Word. He identifies him as God. And the Word was God. He identifies him as the Light. He identifies him as the life. He identifies him as the only begotten. He identifies him as the son of God. He identifies him as the lamb. He identifies him as the uh, Messiah. He's identified by the apostles as the rabbi and the son of God. The king of Israel. And he identifies himself. As the mediator between man and God and as the son of man that's Jesus own self designation the way Jesus describes himself is son of man and that is a reference to Daniel's son of man who receives the kingdom that shall never end and so the one who is the mediator between God and man will die like a lamb in order to deliver us from this domain, this world that's oppressive. And he will set up a kingdom on earth that will never end. And uh, he's the one that John points to and says to his disciples, follow him. And they do. And they'll never be the same. And anybody who follows Jesus will never be the same. The invitation is very simple. Just come and see. Lord, we thank you for this great first chapter in the Gospel of John. Now as we move ahead and we see the miracles and we see action and we see power manifested and described in the reaction of people and conversions, we get right into the middle of the story. Help us realize how fortunate we are to call you Savior. Help our faith to build and realize what you've done in the lives of these people and in the lives of this gospel, people in this gospel story. Whether it's healing, whether it's another kind of miracle, whether it's a deliverance. You're the same today as you were then. You will do it for us. All we need to do is come and see. Let this Lord be people of faith in Christ's name. ちょっと